Welcome back to episode number 198 of the Neutral Corner Podcast. I am your host, Michael Tero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. So, some quick housekeeping stuff. Um, we're just going to do one show this week. We're going to do, because um, it's Thanksgiving, Thursday is the Thanksgiving holiday. I will be at Sisters celebrating with her and her new husband and their baby who is celebrating his first Thanksgiving this year. So I'll be with family Thursday. And you guys, I hope you enjoy your turkey day. I hope you eat a lot. Go ahead and eat too much. Who gives a shit? You only get to do that once a year, right? Thanksgiving. So be undisciplined and have a good time. So we're only doing uh, one show this week. If something comes up with a rant video, whatever, hopefully you guys enjoyed my rant video last. Uh, actually, it wasn't even last week. It was this past weekend, Saturday, about Luis Neri and Emmanuel Rodriguez. We'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show. But watch that rant video if you haven't already, because I absolutely think the Puerto Rican did the right thing in that situation. And I can't believe some of you are bashing him for not fighting uh, Luis Neri, who not only came in a pound overweight, it's not the one pound thing. It's the history of what that dude has been up to. And some of you guys are trying to compare that to Brandon Figueroa and Julio Ceja, completely different situation. We'll talk about that later. So as usual, guys, the best thing you could do to help me out, spread the word, spread this video, share it, post it, like whatever. Same thing if you're listening on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, wherever else. Give me a like, thumbs up, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff, okay? News and notes time. How about Mr. TBE coming back in 2020? <clears throat> Floyd Mayweather coming back next year, right? You've seen the post, you've seen the, the tweets, the Instagram stuff, and everyone's losing their shit. Oh man, it's going to be him and Dana White teaming up. Who knows what they're going to do? Look, some of you have asked my opinion on this. With Floyd, it's always smoke and mirrors. It's always um, a bait and switch. Okay, it's always a manipulation of fans. And I'm not saying that to bash Floyd. I don't blame him at all for doing what he does. Get that money, dude. If people are going to pay you for all this stuff, go for it. And my thing is, is he going to fight anybody we give a damn about? Is he going to fight one of the top welterweights? Is he going to come back and fight Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford? No, it's going to be somebody we don't care about. It's going to be some sort of exhibition MMA fight or something like that. Or an MMA guy doing boxing and he's going to get his butt whooped again. So I don't give a shit, okay? Now, if something comes up where maybe uh, he ends up fighting a top, maybe something crazy happens and he actually takes on one of the top guys, then I'll get interested. We'll talk about that later in the future. But at this point, Deontay Wilder was fighting last week. Deontay had some harsh words to say about Floyd Mayweather. I don't particularly agree with what Deontay said or the points he made. I think they were kind of dumb. Floyd Mayweather don't owe Deontay shit. But Floyd was a little butthurt. I don't think it's any coincidence that all this TBE coming back in 2020 stuff came out right at the time Deontay Wilder was fighting. So, okay, let's talk about some real boxing news that matters. Jose Ramirez and Victor Postal, that has been finalized. So Ramirez is going to defend his WBC, WBO, junior welterweight titles or super lightweight, whichever you prefer. February 1st in China against Victor Postal. This is kind of an exotic locale. This isn't uh, Singapore or some of the other you know, uh, regions or territories around China that Top Rank has done business before, right? This is in mainland China. This will be on ESPN at 10 p.m. Eastern here in the States. And it'll be on Sunday, February 2nd, there, local time in China. Now, a couple of you guys have asked 
about uh, why China. I think Bob Arum is trying to build something over there. With Zhou Ximing, they did a couple of cards over there, right? Uh, I don't think any of those Zhou Ximing cards were in the mainland, though. This is going to be in the mainland. And Bob Arum and Top Rake have invested over in Asia for a long time. They just signed the Oya Inoue, right, the Japanese monster. Now, is, is he going to fight in China or something? I don't know about that. But perhaps if there's a unification fight or something like that that they could do with one of the Chinese titleists, I'm not sure if off the top of my head who is around that weight size uh, from China. I know uh, Shu Khan just defended, yeah, actually, you know what? Khan Shu, sorry, just defended his uh, WBA featherweight title. So I don't know, maybe something like that could be worked out. He's from China. But um, so I, I like this fight. I, I, I think that it's a good opponent. Victor Postel is a, an experienced opponent. And I think that uh, he'll give a good fight for Jose Ramirez, who after fighting Maurice Hooker and unifying titles, goes right into this kind of a fight. I like it, man. You go on there uh, and, and fight as a world champion. I, I like this matchup a lot. I like the location of it. I like everything about it. But let's get into the review of what took place last week. And then we're also going to preview. There's a few fights coming up this weekend as well. We're not going to do a preview show. We're just going to talk about it here on this show. But, of course, let's get right into this stuff with uh, Las Vegas. Okay, let's just go right into that. We'll talk about the other fights in a second. But Saturday, November 23rd, PBC on Fox, pay-per-view, six pay-per-view in the calendar year. Ouch. Uh, MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. And I talked about how, on Twitter mostly last week, how the... And actually, yeah, last week uh, on TNC we talked about this. The lackluster ticket sales was not doing good. The event was being papered. Ticket prices were getting slashed and dashed. But in the last second, uh, some fans did show up. A lot of UK fans showed up, which is kind of crazy, kind of interesting. But UK fans love coming to Vegas, and they worked out some kind of package deal with some of the UK whales, and they got a lot of UK fans in there uh, just a day or two before the fight. So it ended up filling in pretty good. There was a decent crowd there. Deontay Wilder came in a 6-1 to one betting favorite for this fight. I just want you guys to realize that, okay? This was not seen as a 50-50 fight. This was not seen as a 2-1. Deontay Wilder was a 6-1 to one betting favorite coming in. And you guys know last week I told you it was going to be a knockout around the 7th or 8th round. I wouldn't have been shocked if it went the distance, but I figured at some point Ortiz would tire and Deontay would catch up to him in the mid to you know, almost going into the late rounds. That's exactly what happened. Super chat pledge from Deed3440. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that, sir. He says, uh, where would you put Gennady Golovkin at this point? Uh, I assume you're asking pound for pound or middleweight uh, rankings. I mean, look, if Canelo Alvarez moves up permanently to super middleweight, then Gennady Golovkin is the number one middleweight right now. There's no middleweight champion if Canelo vacates and, and officially moves up to super middleweight. Uh, but, yeah, I would say if Canelo stays at middleweight, then Gennady Glovkin's number two right now. Until somebody knocks him off that perch. I know he had a tough fight with Sergei Derevyanchenko, but Sergei Derevyanchenko is a top five middleweight. So, uh, you look, in the past couple years, Golovkin, in my opinion, has beat Canelo Alvarez at least once. He very closely beat Drevyanchenko and Jacobs. Those were very close fights. The knockdowns may have been the difference, but he beat them. And then I felt that he got jobbed against Canelo Alvarez in that first fight for sure. So that's a pretty good resume over the last couple of years. So 
I would say that Golovkin is the number two middleweight in the world. If Canelo officially moves up, he's the number one middleweight in the world until somebody knocks him off that perch. Vacant championship, though, if Canelo moves up. Officially, Canelo is the middleweight champion right now. In terms of pound for pound, uh, Gennady's not in the top five, but he's in the top ten. I've seen some people knock him out of the pound for pound top ten. I think that's a little ridiculous just because the guy had a close fight with Derevyanchenko. Um, again, if you look at his resume over the last few years at middleweight, it's pretty impressive. So he's still right in there. I'd say number 8, 9, 10, somewhere in there on the pound for pound list. Thank you again for the super chat pledge. So, okay, Wilder scores a KO7 win over Luis Ortiz. That was the 10th defense of his WBC title. And I mentioned that because you saw these graphics during the promotion comparing Deontay Wilder to Muhammad Ali. Because he's had 10 straight title defenses of the WBC title. Very disingenuous by PBC. Now, I don't want to beat up on PBC because top rank, come on. Remember all the shit I gave them for the lineal stuff with Tyson Fury? I beat up on them plenty. Everyone does this. Every single promotion does this. Some more than others. And I do think that from what I've seen, the PBC tends to prey upon young, gullible, ignorant, casual fans with this sort of marketing. Comparing Deontay Wilder to Muhammad Ali, who had 10 straight title defenses. The differences are so vast. Muhammad Ali was actually the heavyweight champion. Now, around the time Ali was fighting, they, it split into two. You had the WBC and WBA eventually. It used to just be one heavyweight title, right? Then it split into two. And then in the 80s, we got the IBF and the WBO. So then it split into four. But Ali was the guy. He was seen as the guy. Even if he wasn't the guy right when he won that title, he eventually became the guy by beating everybody. So to compare Deontay Wilder's 10 straight title defenses against mostly journeymen, which I'll talk about in a second, to Muhammad Ali's 10 straight is ridiculous. And let's, let's just put it in perspective. Joe Lewis had 26, I believe, 25 or 26. Uh, I'm just going off the top of my head here. Don't, you know, don't kill me if I'm wrong, but it's either 25 or 26 straight title defenses of the heavyweight championship of the world, Joe Lewis, okay? So Deontay Wilder is not even halfway there. Larry Holmes, I believe, had 19 or 20 straight. Vladimir Klitschko, I think, had 18 straight. It was just behind Larry Holmes. And I get it. Uh, Joe Lewis, Larry Holmes, Vladimir Klitschko fought in relatively weak heavyweight eras. I understand. They called Joe Lewis's guys the bum of the month club, right? A lot of people said Vladimir Klitschko's era was the worst in heavyweight history. Absolutely untrue and unfair and, and hyperbolic and, quite frankly, ignorant. Just ignorant. Most of that comes from the American boxing press, particularly the BWAA guys, who are very, very biased. But it wasn't a strong era. We all know that. However, 26 straight title defenses, 19 or 20 for, for Holmes, 18 for Vlad, okay, on a completely different stratosphere, and specifically with Holmes, and then more so with Klitschko, because the heavyweight division, everything got more scattered because there were more titles. Those guys collected all the other titles, they, the titles that mattered anyway. They collected a lot during their reign. So maybe you win one belt at first and you start defending that. And maybe your first 10 defenses are of just that one title. But then eventually, again, specifically with Vladimir, I'll use him as an example because he was the, the most recent guy. You know, I think at first he won the IBF title against Chris Bird. 
But then he fought other champions, Sultan Abragamov, Ruslan Shigayev, and he added the WBO, the WBA, the Ring Magazine. If you give a shit about the IBO, he won that and defended it a million times. He defended all these titles together and cleaned out the division. The only reason Klitschko never got the WBC title, Vladimir never got it, is because his brother Vitaly came back for four years and held it hostage. And in my opinion, cock-blocked little brother a little bit, you know. But then also after that was politics. The WBC has long been in bed with Al Heyman, but before that they were in bed with Don King. There's, there's a concerning relationship with Suleiman Sr., uh, Don Jose Suleiman, I should say, Mauricio's father, and uh, Don King that goes way back. So they, they bought that title. Don King bought that title for Berman Stiverna, and then they sold it over to Al Heyman and, and Deontay Wilder. You can't tell me that when Berman Stiverna and Chris Ariola fought for the vacant WBC heavyweight championship, that either of those guys was on the same stratosphere as Vladimir Klitschko. So Vladimir Klitschko was the guy. Why do I mention this? Because again, the graphics, what you're being sold about Deontay Wilder, is that he's on this historic run. It's, it's historic and epic. It's just not. Now, if Deontay Wilder goes on to add the IBF, the Dwight's Tyson Fury next year, because that will likely be a number one versus number two or number one versus number three type of scenario. That'll create a new lineage, new ring magazine champion. If he starts adding all those belts, then that string that starts with the WBC title, it doesn't matter if his first 12 defenses were just of the WBC. If he adds all those others and becomes the guy, all that whole string is connected now. And yes, at that point, he's on par with Larry Holmes, Vladimir Klitschko, Joe Lewis, those guys in terms of consecutive championship defenses, him becoming the actual heavyweight champion. So he's not there yet. And it just drives me nuts because I'm a purist. When people try to confuse ignorant, uneducated, casual fans, the reason why you guys watch the show is because you're diehards. Casuals don't watch my show. If casuals want to watch, that's awesome. I'd love for you, anyone to watch. But I want people to listen when I talk about this kind of stuff, to educate, just to, just to explain the difference, the nuance, one of my favorite words. So longest reigning heavyweight champion of all time was Vladimir Klitschko. He held a heavyweight title and added all to it and was the man for over 12 years. And Joe Lewis is number two, right behind him, just under 12 years, like 11 and three-quarter years, okay? So Deontay three-quarter years, okay? So Deontay not not even on that stratosphere yet. So to start comparing them in terms of title defenses and how long his reign is going to any of the all-time greats is way premature, it's hyperbolic, and it screams of um, short attention span hashtag culture that we live in, social media, the social media era. So I get it. But let's get back to the fight real quick. So uh, Ortiz was up on all three scorecards, 59 to 55 twice, and 58 to 56 on a third scorecard after six rounds before Wilder landed that right-hand bomb. It was a monster shot that he set up very nicely. And he threw with precision, very good technique. The people that say Deontay Wilder doesn't have skills and isn't thinking in the ring are incorrect. Deontay Wilder absolutely thinks in the ring and he sets up his shots. His fundamentals are bad. He's got a million flaws, but he absolutely has skills and he absolutely thinks in there. And he's getting better at setting up fighters 
for the right hand. However, <laughs> there's plenty more that we need to discuss because, well, let me, before I get into the hardest puncher in boxing history, which I'm going to have to rant a little bit about tonight, let's talk about the number of punches thrown and landed by these guys. So after seven rounds, after the fight was stopped, Deontay Wilder threw 184 punches in the entire fight. 184 punches through seven rounds. I'm just doing math real quick. I think that's what, 25 punches around about, not maybe 28 punches around, somewhere in there. And he landed 34 punches. He landed 34 punches in seven rounds. That's not even five punches around, guys. This is the baddest man on the planet. Luis Ortiz, who was winning the fight, he only landed 35 punches through seven rounds. He only threw 179 punches. And of course, that seventh round skewed the numbers. What, through the first six rounds, through the first six rounds, Wilder landed 23 punches. He landed eight power punches through six rounds. I'm not a math whiz, but that's less than two power punches around that Wilder landed through six rounds. That's insane. Then he lands 11 punches, nine punches in the seventh. So that seventh round really skewed the numbers. I add that because I, I, I tweeted something and the, and the tweet went viral. And I didn't mean it for it to sound negative, but I guess to some people it came off negative. All I said in the tweet, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to read it word for word here. I can pull it up. But it is basically, this was another fight where it was a slow, dull fight. It wasn't an exciting, just like this fight with Tyson Fury, as I said before, like other than those two rounds where he dropped Fury, that wasn't a very good fight. But it doesn't matter because at any moment, at any moment, he could throw that right hand and change it, right? Canelo Kovalev wasn't particularly entertaining or interesting at all until Canelo landed that bomb and got Kovalev out of there. But this fight was even worse than that. I just, I didn't think this was a very good fight. I didn't think Wilder Fury was a good fight. Fury's never really an entertaining fighter. He never is in fun fights. His fight with Klitschko was awful. Fury Klitschko was god awful. I, I, I haven't even gone back and rewatched that. So like, I just say that because I hear people saying Deontay Wilder is exciting as hell. He's pound for pound the most exciting fighter in the world. I don't know about that. He is exciting because he can change any fight in an instant with the right hand. He can't do it with the left hook. He can't do it with up or inside fighting. He's not going to beat you down with a jab. You turn your lights out one right hand. So that makes him exciting in that perspective. But guys, there are plenty of fighters that three minutes of a round, 12 rounds of a fight, give you much more entertainment and bang for your buck, in my opinion. But with the big boys for rock'em, sock'em robots back and forth. That doesn't happen as much. With the big boys, you want to see that eraser. And Wilder has that. After this fight, Joe Rogan, Brandon Schaub, I think his name is, who somehow has a show about boxing on Showtime. I don't even know if that's still going. But several people like that, and even some fighters, but a lot of casual boxing fan type people like a Joe Rogan, Tweeted out, Deontay Wilder is the hardest puncher in boxing history. Hardest in boxing history. They didn't say one of the hardest in heavyweight 
history or one of the hardest hitters we've seen in a long time or uh, that right hand is one of the best right hands in the history of heavyweight boxing. No, he is the hardest puncher in boxing history. And if you don't agree with that, as I, I'm not saying I disagree, but I'm going to explain my position on it in a second here. But if you criticize Deontay Wilder's resume in, in an objective way, or you bring up some of the information I am tonight about all these other fighters and their consecutive title defenses and what, who they fought against and what they accomplished in that time versus Deontay, um, you bring up anything like that, you're called a hater, you're called all these other terms, all these other words, you're labeled all this nasty stuff. That's ridiculous. Let me state for the record right now, in my opinions, my opinions on Deontay Wilder, my assessment, right now, he is no less than the first, second, or third best heavyweight in the world. If you have him rated number one in the world, I ain't mad at you. You're not going to get any argument from me. If you have him number two or number three, whatever, especially we got to see what happens next week over in Saudi Arabia. But if you have him anywhere in the top three, no argument. If you have him number one, no argument. You can absolutely make the case Deontay Wilder is the best heavyweight in the world right case. His right hand is currently the best one-punch weapon in all of boxing, every division, not just the heavyweight division, the heavyweight division. That right hand, I'm not even talking about how hard it is, or just the right hand period, the straight right hand is that single greatest weapon in boxing right now in any division, any fighter in the world. That being said, Deontay Wilder's best victory is against Luis Ortiz, who is very overrated by many, many fans and media with agendas. People that want to get them phone calls coming so they can get those checks coming in. Luis Ortiz, let's break him down real quick. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but Luis Ortiz, his best win as a professional is against Bryant Jennings coming off a loss. That's his best win. He also has wins over a completely ancient Tony Thompson. Let's see. A completely ancient Monty Barrett. A couple other fringe contender types like Malik Scott, Latif Coyote, guys like that. But his best win, period, is against Bryant Jennings. He's not a once, but two-time, I'm not going to say doper, but he's tested positive for banned substances twice in his career. All right? Hasn't quite been the same since he's been on strict testing protocol. I haven't seen a stamina in the later rounds. I'm looking at his resume here. He did go 12 against Malik Scott in 2016, but he did go deep in that fight with Deontay Wilder last year. He went 10 a couple times with a couple of journeyman level fighters before the rematch, but against elite level opposition, doesn't seem to do well in later rounds. All right. He's 40 years old, listed as 40. People make fun. Who knows? Maybe he's older, maybe he's not. But even if he's 40 years old, guys, 40 years old, been caught twice or failed drug test twice in his career. The first one was particularly egregious. The second one was for blood pressure medication, but apparently. The first one was for Nandrolone. Okay, that's a steroid. So this guy has been caught a couple times. He's 40 years old. Uh, he, his best win is against Bryant Jennings, coming off a loss to Vladimir Klitschko, the champion at the time. His amateur pedigree is pretty good. 
it's mostly regional Cuban stuff. He fought a couple of times in world-level tournaments and did not win them, but he, he, he did well. I think he maybe got a bronze or silver medal here and there. Never went to the Olympics, nothing like that. So he wasn't a world-class amateur, but a good regional amateur out of the very good Cuban school of boxing, but probably a little overrated in this era. How good are Cuban fighters doing right now versus fighters from other more well-established amateur systems in the pros? The Cubans aren't doing very well. But this is Deontay Wilder's best win. I'm not saying this to hate on Deontay Wilder. I'm not saying this to hate on Luis Ortiz. By the way, Luis Ortiz, top 10 heavyweight right now. Clearly a top 10 heavyweight, but he's not a top five. He's not, he, look, he's behind Tyson Fury, Wilder, of course, Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua, Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin, Joseph Parker. He's kind of somewhere around the Adam Kovnachi or Kubrat Pulev level. And who knows? Maybe those guys are better than him. We need to see them fight each other. But he's at the bottom part of the top 10. That's where Luis Ortiz is. I just, I've, I, look, he was avoided. There wasn't a line of guys, you know, lining up to fight him, rushing to fight him. He was avoided. But let's keep this in perspective, man. Look at his accomplishments and where he's at. And that's Deontay Wilder's best win. So when you're talking about, wow, look at this one-punch knockout power. SSB28 says Usyk is better than Ortiz. Well, hell yeah. Usyk would maybe stop Ortiz late. If he wouldn't stop him, he'd box the shit out of him and almost shut him out. It'd probably be 10 rounds to two or something. Azier is asking who avoided Ortiz. Nobody specifically avoided him, Azier, but nobody was lining up to fight the guy. It's not like everyone's like, oh man, I want to fight Luis Ortiz next. So he wasn't ducked. It's not like... He had a mandatory for one of the belts and somebody said, hell no, I ain't, I ain't fighting them and gave up their title or something. Nothing like that. But nobody was lining up to fight the dude. I just think, look, Larissa, Luis Ortiz is a good quality prize fighter. Good quality prize fighter. Oh, one of you guys mentioned Michael Hunter. Good, good comment. Michael Hunter might be better than Luis Ortiz right now. There's several guys. Daniel Dubois might, I don't know if he's quite ready for that, but he's maybe, you know, another couple fights. So Luis Ortiz, again, Deontay Wilder's best win. I know I'm repeating information here. I'm going off the cuff. But I just want to keep this in perspective. If you're talking about the greatest puncher, not just in a heavyweight division, but all time in boxing, that is such a ridiculous statement. And the thing is, Wilder might end up being, the let's just say, he has the potential to go down as the biggest puncher ever. If he ends up fighting... Tyson Fury, Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua, Dillian White, Joseph, Par Joseph Parker, some of the young guns coming up, you know, and he goes off and reels off 10 more wins and he knocks all these guys out with straight right hands, one punch knockouts. Well, holy shit, okay? Then we're having a different discussion, but he hasn't knocked out, let alone beat a top five heavyweight yet. He hasn't. He's only fought a couple guys that were ranked in the top 10. One of them being Berman Stavern, who was vastly overrated as well. And should have never had that title. Should have never had the WBC title. That was just Don King pulling favors with the BC. They have a relationship that goes back decades. So Deontay Wilder is two legitimate knockout of the year candidates this year. For me, his knockout of Brazil is going to be the one. Because just the optics of it were so impressive. He's going to win knockout of the year. Both of his fights ended with 100 quarter right hands. 
Awesome, awesome. But nobody's going to put Dominic Brazil on a all-time great list. And Luis Ortiz is going to fade away after this. He's never going to be... He's a knockout waiting to happen against one of these up-and-coming or fringe top 10 level guys. He's never going to be at the top of the division. A year from now, it really surprised me if a year or two from now, Luis Ortiz is still hanging around the top 10 of the division. It would really, really surprise me. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on that. It wouldn't be the first time. But why was Deontay Wilder comfortable losing rounds in this fight? Why was he landing one or two punches around and he was cool with that? Why was he throwing you know, 10, 20 punches around and missing most of them? Why was he cool with that? Ask yourself that question. He didn't fight like that against Tyson Fury. In the 12th round against Tyson Fury, he came out guns blazing because he knew he was behind. He was in there with a different animal. Against Luis Ortiz, he knew at some point he would get that right hand bomb on him and that's all he needed. He knew the old man's punch resistance wouldn't be there and he could get him in the second half of the fight. So all Deontay Wilder did is fight each round trying to set up a right hand. He wasn't even fighting to win rounds. Think about that. Think about that mentality. Think about what Deontay Wilder was thinking and what he knew he had in front of him. And start doing the math, people. I'm not saying this to bash the dude. I'm saying this because some of the hyperbole around him, it just everyone calmed down. Again, Deontay Wilder may prove himself to be everything people are saying he is and more. But until he does that, we just need to chill out a little bit, man. In 2015, he went, he went the distance to win his title against Berman Stavern. So that was four years ago. He defended against Eric Molina and Johan Duapas. In 2016, he beat Arthur Spielka and an ancient Chris Areola. 2017, he beat Gerald Washington in a fight that many thought he was losing at the time of the stoppage, and he destroyed a beached whale version of Stavern. In 2018, TKO 10 win against Luis Ortiz in the first fight, which he was losing at the time of that stoppage, gets a draw with Tyson Fury because his right hand bails him out in the 12th round in a fight that he was losing. Many people still feel he lost that fight, even with the two knockdowns. And then this year, takes care of a mandatory against Dominic Brazil, no harm, no foul there. And then comes back from behind to knock out Luis Ortiz in a fight he was losing. Pretty much universally losing on the cards. Even a lot of fan cards. So how do you compare that resume and his knockouts over that level of opposition against the fighters I mentioned before? Joe Lewis, Larry Holmes, Vladimir Klitschko, let alone Muhammad Ali. How about Mike Tyson? They're comparing him to Mike Tyson, who is overrated by many. Many people see Tyson as like a top five heavyweight. He's just outside the top 10, in my opinion, all time. Hamed brings up George Foreman. Yeah, they're comparing this guy to George Foreman. Look at the fighters Foreman beat in his prime and then when he came back in his 40s. His win over Michael Moore trumps any of the wins that Deontay Wilder has. And again, that's not me beating up on the dude. It's just me telling the truth. Why is it so offensive to people to tell the truth about shit? Why does it make people so upset when you tell the truth? I don't know. I'm just going to drop a name on you guys because a lot of you younger guys won't know who he is. Ernie Shavers. Seen by many as possibly the hardest heavyweight puncher of all time. He's certainly up there in the top five. Okay. This guy was a perennial contender in his era, fought in a loaded era. 
Fought some very good fighters. Lost when he stepped up to the absolute best. But this was a guy who was about 6 feet, maybe 6'1", maybe 210 pounds at his best. And Shavers dropped a prime Larry Holmes. KO1 wins over Ken Norton, who at that time, I don't believe Ken Norton had ever been dropped, let alone stopped. KO1, Ken Norton. KO1, Jimmy Ellis. Look up those names. Those wins over Ken Norton and Jimmy Ellis, those are KO1 wins, by the way. And I don't think either guy had been stopped yet. Are better all. They're, they're both better fighters than Luis Ortiz. Light years better. So if we're talking about the greatest heavyweight punchers ever, look no further. If we're looking for someone who punches harder as a heavyweight than Deontay Wilder, look no further than Ernie Shavers. And I'm not going to bring up Lennox Lewis, Vladimir Klitschko, Riddick Bowe, guys who have knocked out far better opposition than Deontay Wilder. So all I'm asking is for people to pump the brakes a little bit, slow down, chill with the hype train, okay? I know this is the social media era and everything's got to be the best or the worst. Let's have a little perspective. Let's be objective and logical. Let's look at the facts. That's why you guys come to the show. I'll say this also about Deontay Wilder. There are some people out there that overly criticize him. It's unfair to say that he's the worst heavyweight title holder in the history of boxing. That's absolute bullshit. We've had far worse title holders in the last five years. You can't tell me Deontay Wilder is worse than Charles Martin, okay? And there's other guys who have held titles or pieces of heavyweight titles in recent years that Deontay Wilder is much better than. Is he flawed? Yes. But is he as bad as some people make him out to be? No. So he's turned into this polarizing figure. Some of it is his own doing. Some of it is his management and the promotion behind him, them doing it. Some of it is not his fault because it's like he, he was signed up to fight Alexander Povetkin. He had traveled overseas and started camp. He had spent money. Povetkin used performance-enhancing drugs and got caught. That's not on Deontay Wilder. So he had a chance right there to fight a top-five guy and really prove himself. And that was going to be a tough fight for him. He was going over to Russia to fight Povetkin. Think about that, okay? Talk about going... What do I was talking about? Going into the lion's den. A-side versus B-side. Non-establishment versus establishment, okay? So... Deontay Wilder was for real ready to step up and fight Povetkin until Povetkin screwed that up. That shouldn't count against Wilder. It shouldn't count against Wilder. Some of the things like that that have happened in his career. A few other guys have popped for performance-enhancing drugs that screwed up matchups that he had. That's not on him. But at the same time, and he can only fight who they put in front of him. I get it. But at the same time, man, let's stop exaggerating the guy's accomplishments and making it out to be like he's killed a murderer's row of dudes. And he's, his name should not be mentioned in the same sentence as Tyson, Muhammad Ali, or any of the other guys I've mentioned. Not yet. Nobody in this heavyweight division, their name should be mentioned with any of those guys yet. None of them have proven enough to warrant that. So everyone just chill out. One last thing. I saw somebody on Twitter compare Gennady Golovkin to Deontay Wilder and try to make it, oh, you guys said Golovkin was the best middleweight of all time. And the, the, the agendas people have are so clear. 
They're so clear. People can't even hide their agendas anymore because they're so stupid about it. That is apples to oranges. And nobody that had an objective opinion said Gennady Golovkin was the greatest middleweight ever. Or, you know, he's the... I never rated Gennady Golovkin pound for pound number one. I thought he could be. I thought he could get there. But I just never thought he had accomplished enough. Had he got the decision against Canelo, I would have put him number one pound for pound at that time. But it's about accomplishments, man. It's about what you've done in the ring. That shit matters. It's not just about potential or what could be. Super Chat Pledge from Chris Bergen. Thank you so much. He says, great show again. How do you see Fury Wilder 2 going? Thanks, Chris. I see Deontay Wilder knocking out Tyson Fury in the rematch. I'll say this. Wilder had a much better 2019 than Fury did. Fury fought two guys who aren't even in the top 30. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Schwartz is in the top 20, 25. The other guy, I can't even think of who the hell he fought. Wasn't even in the top 30. So Wilder's had a much better year than Tyson Fury. Um, And I I think his fights, even the KO1 win over Brazil is better than anything Fury did this year. I think that's going to give him the momentum he needs to get over the hump. And I think that he's going to stop Fury when they fight. Apparently, it's a done deal for next February in Vegas. That's according to Bob Arum. So, all right, guys, let's, uh, let's get move past Deontay Wilder. Maybe we'll get back to some of that later in the show. But I want to finish reviewing what happened. Brandon Figueroa has a split draw with Julio Seja, first defense of his WBA Super Bantamweight title. Seha, again, came into this fight off two straight stoppage losses, came in four pounds overweight, and Figueroa took the fight anyway. And look what happens. He has a draw. Now, some fans are saying, well, that's what Emmanuel Rodriguez should do, except except Rodriguez was the B-side, coming in against a guy who's a, a, a drug cheat and has missed weight like three or four times in his career. He is a horrible problem with this. It was trying to weight bully him. He was trying to scam him the way he scammed the Japanese fighter Yamanaka a couple years ago. And that's why he's banned from Japan for the rest of his career. So you look at this situation, Figueroa was the champion. He was the A-side. So yeah, he took a risk, but he took a risk because he was getting six figures for it. He was getting several hundred thousand dollars for this fight because he was the, the title holder. Rodriguez wasn't getting that kind of money, even with the extra money that they threw at him. So a completely different situation. And to try to compare those two, it just reveals an agenda and ignorance. So you can't compare those. For Figueroa, I'm not seeing a potential pound-for-pound level guy here, but he's going to make for fun, entertaining fights. This was an entertaining, good scrap. And he's going to be at featherweight soon and do the same stuff there. He's going to be an entertaining fighter, heavily flawed, but fun as hell to watch. And always gives a good effort. And he's got balls of steel. I'll give him that. Definitely got heart. And Leo Santa Cruz won the vacant super 130-pound title from the WBA, which should have belonged to Andrew Concio going into last week. But the WBA is just despicable. Uh, Even for sanctioning this, this should have been a title eliminator. That's what this should have been. This should have been a title eliminator. I wouldn't have had that much problem with the WBA Make this a title eliminator and have the winner fight the other guy for the real WBA championship. I talked before about Leo Santa Cruz. Look, this fight was boring as shit. Leo has done nothing with his career. I'm seeing graphics and all this stuff about uh, Leo being a four-division champion. 
He's never been a champion at any division. Brian Kenny on the Zone broadcast made it a point to say he's a real champion. He's been a champion in four different... No, he hasn't. He's held titles. He's never been a champion seen as the guy, the number one fighter in the division at any weight class. He's had four titles in four different weight classes. And if you think this fight should have been for a title, you're smoking crack. In fact, we talked about it this weekend on the Ring Ratings Committee. We talked about Rene Alvarado, who I'll get to in just a second, who won a title off Andrew Concio. And where should we rate Alvarado and Leo Santa Cruz? Several people on the Ring Ratings Committee said Leo Santa Cruz shouldn't even be in the top 10 at 130. Beating Miguel Flores doesn't rate top 10. Some people thought, though, yeah, let's bring him in, but he should be behind Rene Alvarado. That tells you all you need to know. Let's get to that fight at Golden Boy Card, Golden Boy Promotions, Indio, California, on the zone. Rene Alvarado, the Nicaraguan, scores an upset stoppage win. Andrew Concio, who had to quit, or I shouldn't say quit, had to retire. He did not quit. Had to retire due to uh, cuts. Fight was stopped. And uh, Alvarado was up on the cards at the time. Uh, so he wins the fight. Or actually, yeah, he was cut, cut from a punch. So that's why he gets the W. This was um, a mandatory, a rematch from 2015, where Concio knocked out Alvarado. So now Alvarado has really carved out a good career for himself, man. He's done it the hard way. He fought Jazreel Corrales, Rocky Juarez, Joseph Diaz, Yuriokas Gamboa, Dennis Shafikov, and now Cancio twice. He's really earned this the hard way. you got to be happy for the guy. It's awesome. Let's see him fight a third time. Let's see him do a rubber match. i got to say, man, I think Andrew Concio has been talking a lot about unifying with Jamel Herring and calling out all these other champions. I think he started to read his press clippings a little bit too much and got a little bit too ahead of himself. Guys, it is. Boxing is such a hard sport. It's so damn difficult. And finally, Concio got a little bit, a little bit of success. And just before, like, he was hoping to win this fight and then get a unification next year for like a quarter million dollars and get that big money where he could quit work for a while or something. And then this happens. And now he's right back to where he was before. But I want to see a rubber match between these two next year. Super Chat Pledge, I saw it there from Harrison Property. Thank you so much, my man. I appreciate it. He says, the MOB community would like an update on the MOB studio and call-in feature, please. Thanks, buddy. Well, thank you. So this weekend with the studio, um, I, I think I told you guys last week, I completely I had to put up the ceiling, the drywall, and I had to mud all that, sand it. Oh, my God, what a messy job. Seal it, paint it. I've got all that done. Um, we had, I ordered the carpet. So I'm waiting for that to come in. It's probably going to come in next week. I'll put that down. And then the studio will be complete. I, I built out soundproof boards. I got to install all that stuff and decorate it. I'm going to do all that over the holidays. Okay. It's going to be ready to go early next year. It's going to be fully ready to go. We're testing out the call-in feature right now. Tiff is hooking that up. We need, we need to run some tests. But we're hooking it up to where it's probably going to be Skype, okay? And I want to do Skype. And you guys, tell me what you think about that. But I want to do Skype calls because then people from all over the world can call in. So those of you watching in Japan right now, watching from Australia, you could call in on Skype. And that way you don't have to get on your phone and get long distance and all that other shit. So let me know what you think about that. 
Skype sometimes could be unreliable, but I'm going to pay all the extra money for the professional business level Skype. That shit ain't cheap. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's how we're going to do it. So you guys can call in. And um, I'm telling you, January, studio is going to be dope. I'm going to start, um, I'll, I'll post some pictures and videos and stuff like that. But I wanted to wait till I get the carpet in there and really start setting it up. It's very cool because I built this entire room with my bare hands. It was nothing but concrete down there. And I built a room and it looks so great. So I'm, I'm proud of my work, man. Um, but yeah, more to come on that, I promise. Also on this card, Khan Shu, unanimous decision over Monty Robles III, second defense of his WBA featherweight title. Now look, last week, I told you guys Manny Robles was going to win this. I thought he would. I thought that this was basically Golden Boy. They have a good relationship with Robles and his father. Hooking this up for him and saying, dude, here it is on a silver platter. Go out there and win this title. But I got to give it to Khan Shu. I was dead wrong about this. And he went out there and destroyed CompuBox. You know, all the, all the CompuBox guys, their, their knuckles were sore from pressing all the damn buttons so much, keeping up with this dude. I want to say it was like 1,500 punches he threw, something like that. It was insane. Pitches a near shutout. I'm completely impressed and surprised by his performance. What an awesome, awesome victory. So right now, Kanshu has the WBA regular featherweight title. Leo Santa Cruz has the super title, but of course he's going to vacate because he has the 130-pound super title. Try to keep up with this shit. I mean, seriously. It's a miracle that my brain doesn't explode. Gary Russell Jr. has the WBC. Josh Warrington has the IBF. But him and Shakur Stevenson, who has the WBO, they're going to unify titles next year. So I'd like to see Shu Khan, Khan Shu, fight Gary Russell Jr. Or something. I want to see his volume versus Russell's accuracy and speed. That would be fun. We got another Super Chat pledge. Who is that from? It is from BB Mute Man. Thank you so much. He says, great being able to watch this live for once instead of on YouTube later. My buddy and I have an argument. Please settle it. Is Tim Bradley a Hall of Famer? Dude, you're going to stump me on that one. You know what? Let's look up Tim Bradley's resume. You know, the thing with Tim Bradley and his Hall of Fame argument, I've been asked this by a few people. It really depends on how you feel about his first fight with Manny Pacquiao. It really, really does. If you look at his resume at 140, he was the guy, right? He fought everybody at 140. I'm just looking here. He beat Junior Witters, good quality fighter, Miguel Vasquez. These are decent guys, not great. Uh, Luke Campbell, Lamont Peterson, an undefeated prime Lamont Peterson. Good win. Uh, Abregu, good win. And then Devin Alexander, then an ancient but still serviceable Jaul Casamayor. So his resume at 140 was outstanding. Really good resume at 140. But then at welterweight, look, that win over Manny Pacquiao, I just don't agree with it. I think Manny got robbed. I thought Manny Pacquiao won that fight. Okay, but officially, if we're going with the official record, guys, the official record, he beat Pacquiao. I don't believe he did. I'm putting it out there. Want to make sure everyone hears that. But officially, he beat Manny Pacquiao. Then a fight of the year that he won against Ruslan Provodnikov. Great fight. 
great performance. That was at the old school Home Depot Center before it became whatever the Dignity Health Complex, whatever it is now. And then a split decision win over Juan Manuel Marquez. And who knows what Marquez had in his system at the time. Wow, I'm just looking. Robert Byrd was the ref for that fight. Ugh. That was a split decision. It should not have been. Glenn Feldman somehow had Marquez winning that fight. That should have been a unanimous decision win for Tim Bradley. Okay, so uh, that should have been a unanimous win over Marquez. And then let's see here. He beat Jesse Vargas. Eh. He beat Brandon Rios. Eh. And then he clearly lost to Manny Pacquiao twice. Man, that's tough. I, look, Tim Bradley's not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but on a relatively weak year, I do think he's eventually going to get in. And I think it's going to be off the strength of that Manny Pacquiao victory. If you don't feel that he beat him officially on the books, he beat him. And if you look, he was the man at 140, and he did have a legit title. Yeah, just like he had a legit title uh, at 147 when he beat Pacquiao. Actually, yeah, when he beat Pacquiao, he got the WBO welterweight title, defended against Provodnikov in a fight of the year, legitimately beat Juan Manuel Marquez, still in his prime. That's a very good title defense. Matt Marquez is going to be in the Hall of Fame. So look at it that way, man. He's got a win over a Hall of Famer in Marquez, and then he's got wins over good quality opposition at 140. And you can make the argument that he has a win over an all-time great Manny Pacquiao. I completely disagree. I don't think he does. But officially, on the record, he does. So I'm telling you, eventually, he probably gets in, bro. Probably gets in. Not in the first ballot, but he'll probably get in eventually. Okay, one last fight to review from last weekend. A matchroom card from Liverpool on zone, and over in the UK, it was on Sky. Callum Smith defends his title, his super middleweight title, WBA, against John Ryder. Now, a lot of people are calling this a robbery. A lot of people. The scores were 116-112 twice. 117-111 for Smith. Both fighters were cut over the right eye. Either way you slice it. And look, I thought it was a close fight. I thought it was a close fight. You can absolutely make a case that John Ryder won this fight. If you gave the champion, quote-unquote, the benefit of the doubt in every swing round, then you had Callum Smith winning. But these scorecards, 117-111, you're smoking crack. 116, 112, you're smoking crack. If you give every swing round to Smith, it's a 115, 113 win for Callum Smith. Okay, that's as, as nice as you can be. But I could see John Ryder winning this fight too. I've seen worse decisions, but it's, it's, it's how wide the scorecards were that I really had a problem with. Really lackluster year from Callum Smith. Really lackluster year. I talked about this last week previewing this fight. What a shitty week 2019 for him. Let's see, Eric Garza saying he had a 7-5 rider. I agree, bro. I think that 7-5 either way, I'm cool with. Um, I just think that, I think Smith is having trouble making 168. I think he dude's like 6-3. He's got to move up to 75 eventually. I think he's going to cash out against Canelo next year. I think we're going to see Canelo and Callum Smith because he can't make 68 forever. If he loses to Canelo, he makes a shitload of money in the process. And then you can say he was drained at the weight. He can move up to 75 and start over. So I think that's what we're going to get from him. All right, preview for this week. Saturday, November 30th, we have a matchroom card on the zone from Monte Carlo, where Radzhab Buteev 
12-0 Russian native who now lives in Brooklyn against another Russian native who lives in California, Alexander Besputin, for the vacant WBA regular welterweight title. These damn WBA titles, man, they're so confusing. This, I'm a good fight. Two Russian natives, one's an East Coast, a West Coaster now. I think Best Putin being in this training with the better fighters in the gyms, I think he's fought the better opposition so far as a pro. He's a little proven. I favor him slightly in this fight. I haven't seen too much of Buteyev. I'm really intrigued by this fight. It's going to be a good quality matchup. It's worth checking out. Cecilia Bregkuster, undisputed lightweight prospect, Joe Cordina, who I believe is a 2016 Olympian. He'll be on that card. Undefeated Chinese heavyweight prospect, Zhang is fighting and Huey Fury is Birmingham, England will also be on ESPN Plus and BT Sport over in the UK. Zolane Tete, his WBO Bantamweight title, Filipino John Rael Casimero, who has the interim belt. This is the fourth defense of Tete's. Uh, Tete's, I always feel like I'm in a strip club when I say his name. Tete's going up against, uh, yeah, Casimero defending his Bantamweight title. Also on ESPN Plus from the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, Top Rank brings you the 130-pound debut of Oscar Valdez, who dumped his WBO featherweight title, moving up in weight, fighting Andres Gutierrez out of Mexico. And this is a title eliminator. This is a WBO 130-pound title eliminator. The WBO is handling this situation with Valdez the right way. This is how the WBA should have handled the situation with Leo Santa Cruz last week in his first fight at 130. So people like the, the PBC wants to bash the shit out of the WBO, yet their protocol often seems superior to that of the WBA and WBC. Oftentimes we see them handling situations like this in a more logical manner. Oscar Valdez held the 126 title with the BO. Moving up, his first fight at 130. The WBO is not making that a title fight, but they're making it a title eliminator. So if Oscar Valdez beats Gutierrez, which he will, probably by decision, he will be in line to fight for the WBO title in his next fight. He will have proven himself in an eliminator in his first fight in a new division. That's hook it up. I think Javante Davis dumped the WBA 130 title when he moved up. And instead of bumping Andrew Cancio up to the super champion, which now would be Rene Alvarado, they left it vacant. And when Leo Santa Cruz moved up, they just gave it to him. Ugh, they're so terrible. Also on this card, Carl Frampton versus Toledo, Ohio native Tyler McCreary. 16-0-1. It's a 10-rounder at 130 pounds. Jamel Herring is going to be there in the house. Watching very closely. Man, Jamel Herring's got options. This is the top-ranked card. Herring's with top rank. He's got a title at 130. He's got Carl Frampton he could fight. He's got Oscar Valdez he could fight. Options galore. My man Steve Kim wrote an article for ESPN last week talking about the 130-pound division. It is going to blow up next year. It's going to be great. There are so many big fights that can be made there. And because top rank's involved with a lot of them, they're actually going to happen. So, good stuff coming. Also on this card, 18-0 Dominican Republic native Carlos Adamas going up against Brazilian native Patrick Teixeira in a WBO junior middleweight eliminator. Man, 
top rank in the WBO. <laughs> they are so in bed together. It, it, every day one of their cars is just a list of WBO titles. It's kind of funny, man. It's the same thing when you go to PBC. It's like they're in bed with the WBC and somewhat the WBA too. But uh, anyway, for Teixeira, he was KO'd badly in two rounds by Curtis Stevens back in 2016. But he's 4-0 since. He should give Adamas a good push. He throws a lot of punches. Tall, awkward, throws a lot of punches. That will be an interesting fight. That's actually a pretty fun little card right there. That triple header from ESPN. Top rank. So make sure you guys check that out, man. Hopefully you're not. Uh, by then, by Saturday, your stomach should be feeling better from eating so much on Thursday. <laughs> All right. A couple of questions, and then we're going to roll out, guys. We'll be going for almost an hour because then my throat won't hurt after every show. <laughs> Let's see. Piglet Smith says, hey, Mike, why does everyone seem to ignore that Charlie Z made Wilder quit on a stool in one? <laughs> I love it. You have to be the most diehard of diehard fan to even know what the hell he's talking about. And no, he's trolling, but who these people are. Eric Garza asks, hey, Mike, did you see that mini doc that DAZN did on the Ruiz Joshua fight? I haven't yet, but I will check that out. Um, I did see the Sonny Liston documentary on Showtime. And I had some thoughts about that. Let me know what you guys think if you'd like me to maybe do a rant and give it my thoughts and opinions on that Sunny Liston documentary. I think it was called Pariah. Uh, it was pretty well done. Some bad. I can give it a review. Let me know if you guys want to see that. Louis Garibus says, Happy early Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Happy early Thanksgiving to you. In Italian, it's ringraziamente. That's, there's no such thing as Thanksgiving in Italy, but because so many Italians went to America and got deported back to Italy, <laughs> uh, there's, they actually have a word for it now, ringraziamente. That's how you say Thanksgiving in Italian. Uh, Buddy Aces says, what do you think about Virgil Ortiz fighting Brad Solomon, Mike? I think that's a good quality fight for Virgil Ortiz, man. I'm high on Virgil Ortiz. Blue chip all the way. If he was a stock, I'd put all my money in him, Okay. I like that fight. It's a good style matchup, and I think another good learning lesson for him. Canada Chris says, Foreman versus Lyle on YouTube. Greatest punchers fight ever. Yeah, that's, man. Anytime you need to get pumped up to go work out, just put that shit on YouTube. You'll go out, you'll probably do a PR that day. I'll do that in the next coming weeks. I'll do that because we're going to slow down around the holidays. Fantasy matchup, Deontay Wilder, Sonny Liston. Look, Deontay Wilder's just too tall for Sonny Liston. Too tall, too big, too rangy, and I, I don't think Sonny would be able to do a whole lot. I think the first few rounds would be very scary for Deontay Wilder. Um, I tend to think Sonny Liston's a little overrated, and he's overrated for two reasons. Locosa Nostra overrated him to a certain degree to promote him, to make money off of him, but then the establishment media, quote-unquote, the leftist activist media had to overrate Sonny Liston in, in, in a way to promote Muhammad Ali in the politics and the agenda there. Obviously, Ali was great. I'm not saying he wasn't. But I'm saying part of the legend in, in, of the mystique of Ali is you have to overrate to a certain degree some of his opponents, including Sonny Liston. When you look at Sonny Liston's best win... It is shit. What was it? I think I know what this is. You know what? I'm going to have to look this up. Now you guys got me looking up Sonny Liston here because I think I want to say a name, but I want to make sure that there isn't a better name. 
Yeah, his best. Yeah, okay. Sonny Liston's best win is Cleveland Williams. That is his best victory. Cleveland Williams. Now, before winning the title against Floyd Patterson. Yes, Floyd Patterson technically is his best win. Yes, but best victory outside of that. Cleveland Williams. And Floyd Patterson was really a light heavyweight. Let's be honest. A light heavyweight that blew up and fought heavyweight. Um, No one sees Floyd Patterson as an all-time great. Uh, Maybe you got him as a Hall of Famer. You know, he did have some good quality wins, absolutely. But Floyd Patterson, a little overrated too. Not the best punch resistance, not the best power in the world. So anyway, yeah, I'd say Wilder beats Sonny Liston. That's, I would pick. And so there you go. There's your historical. We're going to end on that note. Okay, we're going to bring it all full circle here. Because everyone wants to compare Deontay Wilder to all the all-time greats. You asked me how, who would win between him and Sonny Liston. I think Deontay Wilder would beat Sonny Liston. So there you go. You guys can no longer call me a hater. <laughs> All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Be safe. Enjoy your families. Look, be thankful for what you have, man. You guys saw what I tweeted today. I did the 10-year challenge on Twitter or whatever. But instead of posting pictures, I posted the fact that in 2009, I was technically homeless. <laughs> sleeping on a friend's, a friend of a friend's floor in East Hollywood. I was jobless. I had nothing but my clothes in my car, which was a 2001 PT Cruiser that had like 150,000 miles on it, barely fucking ran. I went from that to where I am now, owning a house, engaged to a wonderful woman, working with The Ring Magazine, working with Boxing Monthly. I got a lot to be thankful for. I've busted my ass. I've earned every penny of it, and I deserve even more, and I'm going to get even more. But I'm so thankful for everything I have. I'm so thankful for all of you who, who watch the show, who listen to the show, who support what we're doing here. Yes, Hawker, I had a PT Cruiser. I drove a soccer mom car. Dude, it's all I can afford. But um, yeah, so take this week to be thankful, to just, just to reflect and to be thankful for the people you have in your life, what you have in your life, And don't think about it in terms of material possessions. Think about it in terms of your living situation, your relationships. Look, guys, your work relationships, those are relationships too. Your your friendship, your boyfriend, or whatever situation you have in your romantic life. It's not just that. It's friendships, working relationships, all those things, right? Your relationship with yourself. Sounds corny, but it's true. Uh, All those things matter. And that's what you should be reflecting on. You should be a different person now than you were 10 years ago. Not not in terms of like completely different personality. I'm saying smarter, more accomplished, wider perspective, deeper relationships, deeper understanding. And all of that leads to being more grateful, being more thankful. So I'm all thankful. I'm thankful for all of you guys. And I hope you have a great week. All right. I love you guys. And we'll see you Monday. We'll be back to two shows next week. Happy Thanksgiving.